0: definitely me being a Pakistani Muslim woman, the concept of like, get married probably began at like 18. The older I got, it got more serious. So I would say like 25 is the age where like things definitely took, you know, another turn. And that's kind of when my mom and like my grandma and other like female members of my family kind of got really involved and nosy in my own personal life. And that starts with meet somebody, get married, have children, but to be very honest with you, I think the ways of the world are changing. And I think even like my group of friends, the conversations that we have around like children or having children and like, we wanna be sure that we're not passing on like generational trauma that like maybe we are more aware of as opposed to our parents. You, you really start to think about the choices that you have to make and, and, and everyone has choices to make. And I think for us, like having children is a choice. Whereas like for our parents generation, it wasn't really a choice. It was like, everyone does that.
1: Each of us are on our own unique life journey, and for some of us, we have yet to find the one to start a family with. So what do we do when society is constantly reminding us of our ticking biological clock, and how do we approach the conversation of having kids when we are truly ready? You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter the podcast, episode 9 of season 4. For the past year, I've been a bit anxious when I think about my future and having children of my own, inshallah. This anxiety stemmed from realizing that marriage may not be written for me at this very moment, and my age is definitely not waiting on me to find the one. Like most, this is a very intimate conversation that I have been having within my circle of close girlfriends. Unfortunately for some of us, we didn't learn much about fertility in our early 20s. And fast forward to today, we're in our 30s and unsure of what next steps to take when it comes to the topic of having kids and what options we have in preserving our fertility. We're all asking ourselves this question, should I be worried about my biological clock? Thankfully, there have been notable technological advances when it comes to reproductive health care, but what does that mean for us? In today's episode, I sit down with Coco Zuberi. She holds an impressive background in working with UN women in the partnerships and outreach sector, and someone who is graciously choosing to share her own personal experience with the egg freezing process. In this conversation, we share our thoughts on the pressures women face to start a family, how we truly feel being in our 30s and being unmarried, and what motivated Coco to make the decision of freezing her eggs. We stress the importance of paying our doctors a visit to get checked, regardless if we are ready to have kids or not. And how does one have this super serious conversation with our male counterparts, especially when they may be oblivious to our biological clock? And, of course, we can't forget our parents and what this means for them as well. Having conversations like this is vital. While some of us may have a strong support group, there are many others out there who may not have someone to turn to when discussing topics such as fertility. And so I hope this discussion sheds light on this quote-unquote taboo topic. I also want to stress the fact that Coco and I are not medical professionals, nor are we scholars. Please consult with your trusted doctors and Islamic advisors if you are seriously thinking about egg freezing. Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Coco. We're going to talk about a very personal life experience. So I really want to thank you for even sharing this part of your life with us. We are going to talk about the process of egg freezing, but everything that also led up to that choice and what it means for you to finally kind of take the reins in regards to your own body and your own choices. I would love for you to first, inshallah, introduce yourself and then we can get right into it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here and share my story with with other folks that might be listening. So to get us kicked off, I guess, my name is Coco Zuberi. I use the pronouns she, her. I am based in New York City. I work for um, UN Women. Um, I do have family in Dubai, so I go quite back and forth quite a bit. And I guess I'm of Pakistani origin, but kind of spent my life growing up in different places around the world. And that's definitely like helped shape my personality, but also just my cultural experiences. I like to say I've got, you know, the best of both worlds or the both sides of culture. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me at UN Women. I work in partnerships and outreach, and I look forward to sharing some of that with you as well.
1: I know when I was reading your resume Coco I was like mashallah like you're just doing it all and you're doing it all for us for you know the community of women from all around the world and like you said best of both worlds are like traveling between Dubai and New York which is pretty incredible honestly but I just want to get your perspective especially because you're traveling between both worlds literally have you ever faced the societal pressure of having kids maybe from even your own small circle of your family and loved ones to like the entire world did you ever feel like there was that pressure of wanting to have kids because for me like I feel like we can never catch up it's like okay if you get married the reason why you're getting married is to have a kid the reason why you have a kid is because you should have another kid and it's so on and so forth and I feel like it's like I don't want to feel like I'm a machine navigating this world like I want to be able to feel like I'm a human being being able to make my own choices sometimes I just feel like all we can be good for at times is to to provide for others in a way of like having kids having a family having all that and I think those are beautiful things and I I want those things for me but at my own pace if that make sense?
0: No, absolutely. And that's such a loaded question too, right? Like I think probably almost all women have experienced that. And I I think it's almost irrespective of culture too, although it's quite dominant in some. And so I think this is where definitely me being a Pakistani Muslim woman comes into play. It's something that I've grown up around. If it wasn't me, then it was like my older cousins or my aunts that had gotten a little bit older. And like that question is not something novel. But then, you know, after high school, I'm not saying they started, you know, kind of having those conversations with me after high school. But I think the concept of like, get married probably began at like 18. But I think the older I got, it got more serious. So I would say like 25 is the age where like things definitely took, you know, another turn. And that's kind of when my mom and like my grandma and other like female members of my family Kind of got really involved and nosy in my own personal life. And that starts with, you know, meet somebody, get married, and then it would be have children. I will say my mom, like, doesn't have those expectations of, like, being a grandmother, which is great. But I think she's very unique in that way. It's more get married and get settled down. But then, you know, the next step that comes, you know, right after that would, of course, be the conversation of children. But yeah, it's been everywhere around me. But to be very honest with you, I think the ways of the world are changing. And I think even like my group of friends, um, the conversations that we have around like children or having children and like just the way that the world is changing, like, do we want to bring up kids and like, this kind of can we provide for our children like do we want something like that and if we do bring children into this world like like we want to be sure that we're not passing on like generational trauma that like maybe we are more aware of as opposed to our parents and like I don't know about your family but you know kind of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where like you're trying to make sure that bottom pyramid is covered so you've got like safety you've got food you've got shelter and so like the more i think about it i feel like my parents generation really wanted to make sure that that was fulfilled but like we grew up kind of having that fulfilled and so we can move on to like the next levels of the hierarchy of needs and that's like self-worth and self-esteem and love and like they didn't really have that but like we have those choices and we like get really well my mom says you get really nitpicky and like why wouldn't i be You know, that's not my concern. My concern is at like a different level. You really start to think about the choices that you have to make and and, and everyone has choices to make. And I think for us, like having children is a choice, whereas like I think for our parents generation, it wasn't really a choice. It was like everyone does that.
1: Yes, it was an expectation for our parents. Thank you for all of that, honestly, because this is something that I haven't been too comfortable in talking about publicly, but I would talk about it with my circle of friends. And I'm like, in 10 years or 20 years, when we do have kids and they're teenagers, how is the world going to be? Is that the world that I want to raise them in? I just feel like we're almost in a way, and I don't want this to be an anxiety-inducing type of conversation, but I I really don't know where the world is going. And you feel like you're losing control slowly. So I feel like the only choice that I have right now is either to bring kids into this world or not not to. And I don't want it to be in between those two extremes. But it's also like I would love to afford the ability to be able to make that choice without feeling rushed, making that life changing decision for myself and not making it for others and not allowing it to be on the timeline of others. Like sometimes majority of our life or a good chunk of our lives, we were living it on somebody else's timeline, either with society or it was our family. And again, it's not just our culture. This spans across all cultures. For once, I feel like, okay, I'm a grown woman. I'm an adult. I need to start, you know, taking accountability and not making choices and blaming others for the way things are turning out. And this is the first thing that it's like, OK, whoa, look, this is on me right now and I have to decide like what I want to do. And I think this is why these conversations are super important so we can talk about these things publicly, because at the same time, I feel like, yeah, a lot of these conversations are happening behind closed doors. And me and my friends are very unsure about this topic. We're unsure if we're making this decision for ourselves because this is what we want or are we still on the pursuit of happiness and not our own? I want to talk about like reproductive health in general. We're not going to do a biology class. Right right now or, any, or an anime class, but more so like when it comes to you traveling between like Dubai and New York and stuff like that, is it more taboo to talk about this in certain parts of the world? Do you feel like we're also behind on reproductive health because of the fact that this has been a taboo subject that we don't openly talk about this because you are expected to have kids?
0: So that's a really interesting question and definitely a taboo. I mean, it's a taboo in the United States, too. Definitely a taboo, of course, in, like, our part of the world and, like, Muslim world, yes. But if you look at the way, like, politics is changing the course of, you know, the world, this is a really iffy topic in this country. And, like, we don't think so, right? Like, we think the West is so progressive and advanced and blah, blah, blah. But you kind of really need to look at, like, the way the politics are being shaped and developed and the world that we're living in right now. There's kind of this shift to where there is that, like, more of a conservative, at least in this country, it's more of like that I guess that's kind of what you feel in the environment. So to give you an example, in this country, when Trump got elected, one of the first things he did was there was kind of this pushback on women's rights work. And another thing that he did was he took away a lot of funding to UN agencies. And one of the UN agencies that particularly focuses on this work, it's called the UNFPA, which is the UN um, Agency for like Family Planning, Sexual and Reproductive Health, although it's not phrased that way, only because you have to ensure that governments are wanting to kind of provide and donating to that agenda, but it's very, very tricky. I'm giving you these examples because it's not just a cultural thing. It's also a political thing. And then once again, it ties into like how you're going to get voters, what is the rhetoric and like how you're going to get those folks to come vote for you. Like, where is the money going? You know, I just want to acknowledge by saying it's not just the East, it's also the West. But of course, like with us, our guiding principles sometimes can be um, religion. So like, if you look at the Middle East, it is what religion says about certain things. And like, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but like, Even the way abortion is looked at in Islam, it's very different. It's like your school of thought and like what different people say about it. And so, yes, it's a taboo. I think there's a lot more education here in this part of the world. There we kind of shy away from that. I think even the way that I talk to my friends about stuff here in the United States versus like the conversations that I would have, maybe in a little bit more of a public setting, I would definitely have to like filter myself out. And so I know when I need to switch on and off and to whom and like, who is my audience? So I definitely like cater um, myself (laughs) accordingly, kind of code switch a little bit. But I think, you know, that there is a change. People are talking more about it. When I look at like even podcasts or like, Instagram accounts in the Middle East, like that's definitely changing. And I think it's more just focused on awareness and education, which I think is so great. We don't have to get like super progressive. I think that's like a personal choice, but I think it just kind of starts with education. So like, at least we know, at least we're aware. And then we can make those decisions according to our own faith or like where we stand or what our family setup tells us what to do. So I just think as long as you're informed and then you can make those decisions rather than you're coming from a place of like, having no education, that's two very, very different things.
1: It is. It truly is. The reason why these conversations are are so important is that so we can have the solutions and the knowledge that we need when we reach that point, when we do decide to make these decisions so that we know that there are options out there. I think for a lot of us, or at least the people that I was surrounded with or even extended family, there have been couples who have struggled to have children. And and then it's just like you have to figure out what to do in that moment. And this is all new to you and you don't know what options you have in that moment. And I think that's like the scary thing that I've always tried to avoid of not knowing what to do. I'll be honest, I have yet to see a gyno, which is crazy to me and mind-blowing. I don't. I think it's because we have really shied away from this conversation so much so that in a way it's very detrimental to our health that we're not even taking care of ourselves outside of wanting to have kids. Just you being a, a grown woman that needs to now visit a different type of doctor at some point, you know? So I've just stuck to my primary care doctor, but I've been having these serious conversations with her. I did talk about egg freezing. She did tell me that, you you know, before jumping into that and whatnot, like there's certain steps to take. And she's like, you can even start with an ovulation kit. She's like, you don't have to stress yourself out. She's like, this could be a very interesting journey for you. The next chapter of your life is being able to take care of your body and seeing what it is that you want for your future. And these are the steps that you want to take. And I was like, that's so interesting. I never even knew that ovulation kits even existed. To me, that's kind of embarrassing, like being in my 30s, early 30s, and not knowing that these things exist. This is, I guess, the reason and intention behind having these conversations. For you, maybe this is a person, question, Kogo, but like, when did you decide like, okay, I need to, I need to see a gyno. I need to see a, a different type of doctor. I need to actually start really like taking care of my health in my own way, being the one that's in charge of it, basically.
0: Yeah. Um. So this is a really interesting one. So my mom's actually a doctor. i not a gynecologist. She's a geriatrician. So focusing on older, older people care, but you know what? She grew up in a society that was all about shame and taboo when it comes to the woman's body. And so growing up, I did not have those conversations with her. And I was just talking to a friend of mine, and we've had these conversations, at least in like South Asian circles, about like, when was the first time when you got your period, and what was that conversation that you had with your mom versus like a white mom in the United <laughs> States and the conversations that they had where like they'd be like, here's a period kit, and they'd give you like all the things. And that's definitely not the conversation I-, I had with my mom, and it was super awkward. And like, you know, so I started thinking about that. I started having those conversations in my circles, but I definitely think for me, My journey was, to be honest, I'm very lucky. Alhamdulillah, I have friends that are very intellectually stimulated all the time. And so we're just like a curious group of people. But I think also my profession and kind of being around those groups of like, you know, I've interned at like domestic violence agencies, I've worked in like that women's sphere. And so obviously, the conversations that are coming up are a little bit different had I been somewhere else. I'm surrounded by women, all sorts of women of all shapes and sizes, of you know, all diversities. And so these are the conversations that come up. And so I think a just I started developing an interest because I was like, well, why don't I know these things? Kind of like going back to what you were saying, right? Like, why haven't I seen a gyno? Why is this a taboo thing? Like I said, like for me, for my mom being a doctor, she didn't really want me going to a gyno because they think, oh, the minute you're going to go to a gyno, like, What does that mean? What are they doing (laughs) behind closed doors? It's like, kind of just want to do a general checkup. That's all.
1: Coco, literally the other day, my mom went to the doctor's office and it's a whole brand new office and everything. She's like, oh my God, it's so nice. I'm like, yeah, I've seen it so nice. She's like, wait, why were you there? And when? And why?" look, what's the reason? I "I can't believe like I have to hide the fact that I'm going to the doctor's office because I don't want, I I don't want her to start thinking certain things. So I try to avoid that. And I'm like, okay, never again. I will not mention that again. Yeah.
0: And it's really sad because I'm like, I could be bonding with my mom over these things because it's stuff that she went through. It's stuff that like her sister went through. And, and it's just a shame that we're so bogged down by like cultural taboo and stigma. And I'll give you an example. There's a, um, there's this Bollywood movie out there called Padman. And it's kind of about this in Hinduism and in Indian culture, when a woman is on her period, she actually, and this is in, in, in rural parts of India where she has to spend her life kind of separately from, like, the main area. So, like, they kind of created this space in the back of the house where, like, while she's on her period, that's what she has to do. She has to use, like, different utensils. So she's kind of considered, like, dirty or unclean or whatever. And, like, this is kind of also, I think, in Orthodox Judaism, they share the same same belief. And so I was watching this movie on, like, the big TV at home, and my mom was like, what are you doing? She's like, what if your dad comes and sees? And I was like... (laughs) First of all, it's a Bollywood movie about a man who's trying to like build pads for his wife in rural India. It's based on a true story. And it's not like my dad doesn't know, like, why are we shying away from this? And she literally told me to go watch it in my room. And this is me as an adult. And so it's just sad because it's just cultural taboo and it's the stigma that comes with it. And so like going back to your question about like, why did I decide or how I think being surrounded by like folks at work, being surrounded by other like really empowered women and having those conversations and just kind of, I don't know, Googling a little bit. I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. And so like just like reading more about it, I think as I was getting older and I was certainly feeling that pressure too, right? like the pressure that we talked about that we've had, not just from our own families, but societally as well. And you know, it's 35. That's like the age, tick tock, that I've heard for years. And I know that that's kind of changing as well. But as I so I'm 34. But like, as I was edging to 35, I was like, I need to do something. I'm not married. I don't have children. I'd like to be and I'd like to have kids if I'm able to. But like going back to like the do I want biological kids of my own? That's been another question. I'm like, well, I'd love to adopt. But like the closer you get to it and like the closer you get to the fact that it might be taken away from you, you kind of get in this space where you're like, what proactive measures can I take? And that just goes back circling back to education and awareness and knowing more about your body, which I did not know. like five years ago, you know, like, like you said earlier as well. And so now that I know, I try to tell like all of my younger friends or my younger like cousins, and I'm like, just go figure out what's going on in your body. You don't have to do anything, but at least just be aware. And then you can make a decision if you want to or not. And that's totally up to you.
1: And I know it's difficult for us, Coco, because when you really think about it, we're kind of like the first to do this in a way, because like we talked about our parents' lifestyle, life choices, everything was different than ours because of the opportunities that they had or didn't have. So we're the first to do this and we don't really have a guiding light. We're kind of each other's basically guiding each other towards this new way of making a decision for ourselves and and actually like taking advantage of the resources that we have, which there is plethora of incredible resources, but how good are they if we don't even know about them? And when you were talking about like having to not watch that movie around your dad and whatnot. I mean, with Ramadan, like, hello, when we were on your period and you couldn't like fast, we had to hide the fact that we can eat. And I was like, sometimes I wish we can kind of like silence that cultural stigma of certain things and and be able to really follow the Islamic way of things. And I feel like it would be just a different way of living. And I don't want this to be more like culture versus religion type of conversation, but it's, it's the reason why there's certain things that I haven't taken advantage of. And like when I heard that there are more women doing egg freezing, I was like, wow, like I am just in awe, and awe because this isn't something that's very common, it's still new and, and then there's women like you who are actually publicly speaking about it and I honestly really commend you for that because it's not an easy conversation to have privately, let alone like publicly. So before we dive into that, there's like one more thing that I really want to talk about and it's just the comfortability of this conversation. Like you said, you can't hide the fact that our biological clock is truly ticking and there's certain things that I feel like if you are starting to get to know somebody, how comfortable are we with? having these type of conversations? For me, I feel like it's honestly necessary because I think sometimes for guys, they don't get these things. They don't understand like, this is my age. What choices do we want to make when it comes to actually starting a family and stuff like that? Like, I I think these are very serious questions, but I think a lot of times we kind of avoid these questions because they're tough. It's a tough conversation. Have you ever like found yourself getting to know somebody and actually being open about that part of your life?
0: Yeah, I, I have. And I think going back to like men not knowing, I mean, let's say thirty percent of us do know our own bodies, like, you know, leaving the seventy percent of us like not knowing, how are men gonna know? When <laughs> like, yeah. we ourselves don't know about our own bodies, exactly. like how can we expect for them to know, right? And so I think once I gained the confidence, so I, I froze my eggs last year, and I think that started with being comfortable and having that conversation with my mom. She was extremely uncomfortable by the whole idea, did not want me talking to anyone about it, kind of I wanted to keep it under wraps. And I, I just thought about that more. And I started just wanting to talk about it more because I think it'd be one thing if I saw like, just use the example of like a white woman, it'd be one thing if I heard like a white woman talking about freezing her eggs. But if I saw like a Muslim woman talking about freezing her eggs, you know, someone that looked like me talking about freezing their eggs, like it's just more relatable. And so like, once I did that, I just had a lot more confidence. And I'm like, well, I want other people to know, There are times where I feel uncomfortable talking about it or putting myself out so publicly. I'm like, but if it's going to help, like, or make a difference in, like, maybe two people's lives, then I've done my job. Then I've done, you know, then I feel, I don't know, impactful. And I think everyone wants to have some sort of impact in other ways, right? Like, but we can't all save the world. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. But if you can make that positive impact or someone's life can change based on your experience or they hear you, like, why not? To go back to your question about, like, have I had those conversations? I have. And I think only after that confidence had built up, And I say this because, A, like, men not being aware, but I think also, like, thinking about, like, Muslim men or, like, Arab men, there is this need for, like, genetically wanting to have biological children. I don't know what it is. Like, obsessed with the facts of, like, passing down their genes. I don't have that obsession. I'm very okay with, like, providing a home to a child, regardless of, like, if they're my biological or not. But for men and the conversations that I've had in the last year or so with different men in my family or, like my brother or whoever, there is this need. And that's, once again, it's societally uh, ingrained in their minds. It's like it's like a must-have. It's what you do. And so as I started talking to different people, some people are a lot more aware. And so I'm like, hey, like, you know, I'm going to be 35, just so you know, like, I've frozen my eggs and kind of want to do a little bit more of that in case there's this need for, like, biological procreation. Um, but just so you're aware. And And some people are like, okay, cool, that's really interesting. Or some people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about because like my aunt had kids when she was like 43 so like why would it make a difference to you but like my aunt did it so like why wouldn't you and I'm like well the female body is very different we're not all the same our genes are very different people have different health issues like I have different health issues other people might have other things that they've gone through we're not the same so stop treating us the same you
1: know what I find interesting though when it comes to our age like if we're not married all of a sudden the clock is ticking like you have to get married you have to have kids but then if you are married and you have kids all of a sudden no you You can still have kids till you're forty. Do you get what I'm saying? Like how like you're rushed when you're not married, but when you are married, all of a sudden your body can make kids until you're forty-five or something like that, according to society and family. I'm like, I don't know, pick a side, choose something, because I'm getting confused. And
0: I think like the numbers game or the age game, that's a really tricky one to play with and something that we should definitely stay away from. And even when I talk to myself about like this thirty-five, I'm like, yeah, but like that's the majority based on what? That's like biological research based on what? It's like research based on like maybe 10, 15 years ago. But like we live different lives. We eat very differently. I don't know what is in our food. It affects our bodies. We have a lot more immunocompromised folks now, like dealing with a lot of other issues that people were before in the past. And so all of that plays a role into like how that changes our body. And so going back to all of it, it really just goes back to Be a little bit more aware and check in with your doctor. I think awareness is key. And so you can make informed decisions, whatever those are.
1: Honestly, I think it's not really that difficult. I think honestly, I was more anxious about going to the doctor's office, but once I was there, it was just a whole different feeling. Just having this conversation, it really empowered me because you even said earlier, like either you can be proactive or you can really feel anxious about this. And and again, this doesn't mean that you want to have kids or don't want to have kids. It doesn't even have to deal with any of that. It's just going to the doctor's office and getting yourself checked. For me, for like a good two months, I was so anxious. I don't know why. Out of nowhere, I started really like internalizing my age and thinking like, oh my god, like I'm nowhere near getting married. When am I going to have kids? Can I have kids? All that. I was just saying all that stuff. And I went to the doctor's office and honestly, she just like really, really calmed me down and really empowered me with a lot of information, a lot of steps that I could take. But I want to also talk about male infertility. Obviously, we're not experts here, but I do want to talk about that cultural stigma of when you find out that a couple can't have kids right away, your mind goes to, oh, she probably has the issues. She probably can't have children. But we also want to have couples feel empowered where both partners are well aware of their bodies, the reproductive health, and both of them being getting checked and not just the woman. in certain couples, you know, can we talk about that? And how there's like, there's just heavy regulation on women's bodies versus men's bodies. It really took me a long time for me to truly love myself, but not in just in that way, but to really take care of myself and not to be ashamed of the way that my body operates or anything like that, you know, so but I do want to talk about male infertility really briefly. And what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I'm just going to say it all kind of ties into one big thing called patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows up in all the different ways. i like, we just think, you know, it's a Muslim thing or it's an Arab thing or whatever. But it actually shows up in every single part of our daily lives all around the world. It's not our issue It is a global issue. And, it, you know, going into like talking about male infertility, why don't we talk about that? Because, well, we don't want to shame the man. All the fault and the blame always tends to go towards the woman. And that's just the way it is. And like, I don't know, there's a couple of movies out there that also like we'll talk about how it's always a man issue. But like it's never presented that way. But I think, you know, going back to like if us or anyone else is looking to kind of build out a partnership, I think, you know, focusing on communication and transparency with your partner so you can both have those conversations and like be comfortable enough to have those conversations. I know there's a a really famous comedian, uh, an Indian-American comedian, Hasan Minhaj, and I went to his comedy show recently and he talked about his male infertility issues, which I thought was great because I'm like, wow, this guy's really using his platform and just kind of shows like progressive, educated mindset where like this might help other people. And like, this is not, it's not a taboo or it's not a stigma. Like we can't control that. And like going back to like, you know, feeling anxiousness about certain things, you can only control the things that you can control. So kind of using this as a segue to like how I took control of my own body, it was, well, I can sit here and be anxious and think about like, well, am I gonna get married? Should I get married? Should I just like find the right guy that like my mom sends along the way and just settle down? Or like, no, I have choices. I have options. I wanna make a smarter, better decision for my own life. And so how can I control my own journey. And so for me, it was okay, well, let me do some research and find out if I can freeze my eggs. And so I started doing that research, I think when the pandemic started, because I was like, well, this is a good opportunity, because I'm working from home. And I the whole process takes about two weeks. And so I was like, if I need to travel somewhere to do it, I can do that. When I started my process, I actually, so I'm based in New York. So I said, you know, let me look at at clinics here. But to be honest with you, in the United States, the whole egg freezing process is extremely expensive. It ranges anywhere from $8,000 to like $15,000, depending on where you are. And that's just like the flat fee. And then you have to like pay kind of storage. And, and I can talk a little bit about that later. So that's kind of your basic fee. So even if you are starting that process, like it's extremely expensive. And like, a lot of insurance will not cover it unless you have a medical condition. So like before egg freezing kind of became a little bit more mainstream, they used it specifically for like folks that were going through some kind of medical. So like if you've had cancer or some other kind of um, illness that might affect your body repro health, but now they've kind of referred, they've changed the name to like more of an elective process. So you can do that. But then in that situation, a lot of insurance companies won't cover. However, I know there's this like new thing, at least in the Silicon Valley, where like a lot of tech companies like Facebook and Google are paid for that because like you're spending the majority of your life kind of slaving away in this like corporate culture, which might like take away time from, like you know, starting a family. And so they'll pay for these processes. But so for me, like that was a big, hefty price tag. And so when I started doing more research, I found out actually there's a couple countries in Europe that do it for a lot cheaper. Spain being one of the most progressive countries when it comes to Reaper laws. And I would say the price tag, like if I had to just kind of get, about a solid number in Spain they do it for like five thousand dollars Oh wow! so if you just look at the price tag for like what we pay in this country and like given where our health care is at and like given that people don't even have basic health care and then looking at like if you want to make the next step of making elective choices about your own body and like how this country rates in terms of like repro health going back to what we were talking about like it's like they don't want us they don't want us to win <laughs> they really don't want us to succeed they
1: don't that's such a drastic price difference honestly like 5k to me, that was fine. When you said eight to 15, I was like, whoa, that's, that's excessive. Honestly, like now a lot of people have eight to 15 K just sitting around. It's, so it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult to be able to kind of save up for something like that.
0: Yeah. And it's not like eight to 15 K and you're done. It really like, it depends on the outcome. It depends on how old you are. Like you might have to do two or three cycles. That's a lot of money. You really, you know, and, and once again, like then it's just like, it becomes accessible to those that are privileged. And what what about other people that can't afford that? Then what do you do?
1: Exactly. Where did you get yours done? And where are you on the egg process journey or egg freezing journey?
0: So after doing all that research, so I think I, I mentioned my family is based in Dubai and I was in Dubai and I was trying to figure out, you know, should I go to Spain during the pandemic so I can work from home and I can do this? You know, I found out there's there's all these companies and there's like this, uh, th- these American tours where like they'll take a bunch of women and they'll all go together. And it's like this like sisterly like bonding thing. But then I was like, you know, I, I'm in Dubai. It's a pandemic. I can't really travel so I started doing research and apparently in Dubai, like a lot of their rules are changing or the UAE rather, a lot of their rules kind of change over time and the country is becoming a lot more progressive in their laws. And so they changed the rules. I think after 2019 where like you don't have to be married to be able to freeze your eggs because they realize like a lot of their laws are like Islamically oriented. I'm not a scholar. I'm not going to talk about religion a lot, but egg freezing is Islamically. Okay. I think embryo freezing is where you have to take the, the egg and the sperm and fertilize it, that is not considered okay or acceptable in Islam. And so kind of taking all that into account, the UAE government said, okay, for unmarried women, You can freeze your eggs and that's totally fine. There's a certain set of rules that kind of come with it where, you know, if you do want to use those eggs later on, you have to be married to your partner. And like that's kind of abiding by Islamic rules. And so kind of taking into account, like what are the things that are important to me and obviously ease and convenience and all of that. I decided to do it in Dubai. I think there's like three or four clinics that do it there. So kind of did some research, honed in down on on one clinic. And the whole process takes about two weeks. And I want to say the total cost was maybe about $6,000. So kind of on that like Spain, European price tag. And when I did talk to my doctor, she was lovely. And we talked about all the options. She asked me why I wasn't doing it in New York or Spain or other countries. And everyone's choice is different. Everyone's experiences are different. And to be honest, I had a really good experience. They were very informative. But on the other hand, I was doing my own research this whole other time. What it really entails is I think it starts with, you know, you kind of just knowing where you're at. So like testing your your baseline for what is your egg count. And so I was at a really good age. I did it when I was 33. So I had over a course of two weeks, I went in almost every other day or every three days where they kind of, you have to put in these like hormones and you have to go through this like hormone shot thing. So you're putting in hormones twice a day. So you're doing it in the morning and then you're doing it in evenings and you're kind of Not like insulin, but like you're basically injecting yourself. It's not hard. It looks hard when you first started. And I was freaked out because I was like, needles scare me. But yeah, (laughs) it's fine. We're a lot more stronger and a lot more resilient than we think we are. And it was fine. I did it on my own. And then, you know, then comes a retrieval process. And then they tell you like how many eggs you were able to retrieve or not. And once again, everyone's different. Everyone's body is different. And so like, I'm not going to dish out numbers because everyone's outcome could be different. But like, obviously, like the healthier life lifestyle that you live, the better it is in all instances. Um, I will say I was reading a few statistics about like just the whole freezing thing in general. And I read something like in 2017 there was 23 times more people got egg freezing done as opposed to 2009 so and then that number is probably increased like where we're at now because people really look at like the pandemic kind of stealing two years away from their life so like a woman in in her 30s like mid 30s those are crucial years where you're you're thinking maybe you you meet someone and you find a partner and you get married and you want to have kids to start a family but you've been closed for two years like but your your numbers are still ticking you're you can't yeah. stop your biological clock. <laughs> and so for me, it was, okay, well, you know, I was, I, alhamdulillah, like I was privileged and I was able to do that. And I went through that experience. I would probably have to do one more cycle, to be honest with you. Did it have any reactions towards my body? No, but everyone experiences it differently. So I don't know. I was really excited about the whole thing, to be honest with you. I'm a little bit experimental on my body in that way where I was like, you know what? I've put my faith out there. I, put, I prayed to Sahara before I did it. I was feeling really good about it. And everything went really well. So we'll see. Am I going to use those eggs? I don't know. Maybe I find someone and I get married in the next year or so and I might not need it. But this is kind of a little bit of like an insurance policy. I saved up enough for it and I could do it.
1: This might be a dumb question. Again, I am somebody that has not gone to the gyno. I only go to my primary care doctor. So you said that you might not need those eggs. So does that mean that they didn't take all of the eggs out? They still leave some behind?
0: So the way it works is when a woman's born, you're born with a certain amount of eggs. And then over time, you kind of lose, you you lose eggs on a monthly, on a monthly basis, right? Related to our period. But the problem is after the age of 35, not only are your eggs significantly declining, the quality of the eggs is also declining. So like, Unfortunately, if you do get pregnant after the age of 35, you're automatically considered a high risk pregnancy, A, because of like your body and your age, but also like B, that the likelihood of your child being born with like birth defects kind of increases. And so this, that's why this, this 35, they're like, if you can do everything before 35, if you can save it before 35, the quality of your eggs is better and after 35, it just kind of declines. So I think that's kind of the important part. The age plays a big number with the egg freezing. When you take the hormones, that's basically you getting more hormones in your body so you can produce more eggs so they can take it out. So it's a mature egg that they take out, which normally, like in your normal cycle, so like every month during your period, you release one egg. But in this egg process journey, they're like, well, in that one month, let's give you hormones so you can like create more mature eggs so they can take out more. That wouldn't be the case normally. Of course, you're still left with eggs in your body, but like that number kind of decreases over time. So I could do it again. I could do it on my next cycle where like, then I take those hormones and they can take them out. And then what happens is then they freeze them. So they're taken straight to an embryologist after your, tri- your retrieval, they're frozen, and then you pay the storage fee. So this is kind of like a really mind boggling thing, but you pay a storage fee for every year. So in the UAE, the laws right now is that you can freeze your eggs for up to five years. I think in Spain, it's about 10 years and those laws change. And so it's really important, like, which is why it's like, if you look at patriarchy or like whatever, it's politics plays such a big role in your life. Society plays such a big role in your life and you don't even know it until you're like doing really specific things. And then you're like, wow, these policies really impact my day to day.
1: I did not know that there was like even a, a time limit for how long that they can freeze them for. So after five years, they're gone.
0: So I remember asking the clinic, I was like, well, what happens after five years? And I was like, I'm hoping I don't need it after five years, but I'm just curious and they're like, well, you know, the rules keep changing, you might need some wasta. You can like write to the director of health and see if you can get that extension. And I'm like, this is insane. So I'm hoping I don't have to go through those, but just for people to know, like if they are looking at that process. Every country has a different law and it's ruled by, you know, what is a political situation during that time? And what are the advancements in technology in like femtech or femhealth during that time? Because every day, like it's getting easier and better because we're getting technologically more advanced.
1: And you explained it so perfectly because I was like reading up on it too, like the egg freezing process or the journey and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, it's like a, you know, 10, 15 day process. And the reason why you go back to the doctor's office is just so they can check up on you to make sure everything is going well and whatnot. And then once you're done, they do the retrieval. So I think we really get inside of our heads and we get really nervous about these things. And that's why I think it's so important for us to like, like I said, go to your doctor and get these things checked and have all these questions and, and they do provide all the answers that you need. Another thing is I was thinking to myself when you're speaking, it's like, so interesting how like IVF is still in a way taboo, but I don't think it's as taboo as egg freezing. And again, this is my personal opinion, only because I think when you do IVF, people know that, okay, it's because you're married, you're a married couple. So it's like, yeah, they're, they're doing the best that they can to have a child. And honestly, I, my heart goes out to anybody that's even on an IVF journey, because it's not an easy journey. But then like on the other side of like the egg freezing, I don't think women that are doing egg freezing get the same amount of compassion only because you're doing it as an unmarried woman and people tend to really think negatively. Like, what is she doing? What is she planning? She's not married. What's going on? What is this egg freezing process? And when you mentioned the Islamic requirements and whatnot, they're very black and white. Again, you and I, Coco, are not scholars. So I really, I, I highly encourage people to do that research on their own. But it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you just don't mix your eggs with somebody else. You make sure that it, it's matching up with the person that you're married. I don't have the right terminology. So <laughs> matching up does not sound right. But I hope people know what I mean. But again, like we're not scholars. So please like make sure you do your own research in regards to that. But if I were to go down that path, I would also probably do it in a country like Dubai, because again, they understand the systemic requirements. And because of that price tag, girl, like I'm not trying to spend 15K to me is mind boggling. And like you even said, you even answered my question before I asked it was because like you said, you're doing the second retrieval process. So of course there's eggs left behind, but the fact that you are able to afford a second retrieval process, you know, it's not the 15K price tag. I kind of want to talk about like maybe the emotional aspect of it. I know I just explained as an easy one, two, three process, but you still have emotions attached to this process. Like this is something new. How did you feel in that moment? And why I ask you this is because I think for the longest, at least for me, the idea of marriage, starting a family, having kids seemed like it was such an easy thing. Like it's like, Oh, when you reach a certain age, this, this is all going to come. It's like Amazon Prime. Like literally within two. Yeah. It's going to come to you within two business days. You'll be fine. Don't worry. But here we are in our thirties and it (laughs) hasn't come to us. And so it's like aside from that that feeling where I don't want to internalize it the feeling of failure which you are not a failure if you have if you are not married and you don't have kids and not you're not a failure everybody's timeline is completely different than the next person but I think for me it was like a little hard for me to like swallow that pill because again all my life I was sold this dream as it being easily attainable and here we are fast forward and it's Clearly not. Honestly, it's not for a lot of people, for a lot of women. How did you feel in that moment when you were doing this? Did you kind of have flashbacks about your life and how you reached this point or why you reached this point or where you will be in like five years? Like, who knows? You know, like, what was your thought process, especially from the emotional aspect?
0: So I was going to say you hit the nail on the head on so many things there. I felt very similarly to you across what you said, really. You know, those two weeks was probably the most empowering weeks of my life. Everything else, the anxiety of like not finding the right one or like not being married or whatever, like that's my normal. But in those two weeks, I would say I didn't feel that. Because I took the reins. I was in control. I knew what I could do versus like when you're in this like uncertain space, you don't have control. I mean, you can kind of try to meet the men that like your mom sends your way or whatever. (laughs) But those two weeks, I knew exactly what I was doing. I was the one that like went to the doctor. I was the one that was like injecting myself with hormones. I knew at least I could control some part of it. So I would say it was probably the most empowering and I would say I had the best support system. So maybe not through my family because of like taboo or whatever, but I had the best support system in front of like in terms of like my girlfriends or like my other male friends that are aware and that that do know. They were super supportive. Everyone was lovely. I remember the day of my retrieval. I had like five friends offer to take me to the hospital. They're like, "We'll be there when you when you need to get picked up." I got like flowers and chocolates and all the things. And I was like, "Wow, like this is so empowering." And I and also like I think I was one of the first people in in my own group to kind of take that leap. And so people just kind of felt really empowered through me. And I, that was probably the best feeling in the world. Is anything going to come out of it? I don't know. But like, just to be able to share my story, it just, it felt brave and it was great. It was such a good, I was really bloated after. So that was like a side effect that I had to deal with. But other than that, every woman that I talked to during that process was like, wow, like that's really great. Like That's so bold of you. And I was like, well, I'm kind of using myself as a lab rat so that other people don't have to. (laughs) And then I can kind of share my experience and people can decide.
1: Honestly, I really, really want to thank you, Coco, because the first time I seen you and I heard about you was when you were on Kedish and you were speaking to Iman, and you briefly touched upon this. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, I felt empowered just listening to you, because I think I think that's just such a bold move for you to be able to be like, no, I want freedom from this ticking biological clock. I'm going to make this choice and I'm doing it for the well-being of myself. But it's also like you said, to empower yourself and take the reins of your life because there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables in our life that we don't have control over. Unfortunately, we just don't. And so for you to kind of take control of this is super important and it's it's super inspiring because I think for a lot of us, like we're always on the fence and I would rather have women feel empowered after listening to these conversations than to feel anxious with their thoughts and not know what to do. And I was one of them. I was really anxious until I came across your story. And actually uh, it was May too from kadesh uh, she was the one that she's like oh my god have you not heard of coco because I told her like we were just talking about that we had our own discussion I was off mic talking about that and and you're right we're all having these conversations with our girlfriends and and that's why I kind of want to bring this conversation to the public eye and be able to have more of these discussions but it's her that really really introduced me to you and and told me about you and, and I was like yeah I, I would love to have you on because this is something that I'm curious about and if I'm curious about it, I know other women are curious about it do you have any other like advice or anything like that really related to this journey of yours or something that you were kind of like, I guess, like taken aback by, like you were surprised by and you learned about yourself or or whatever it may be, just anything that might help other women out there who are maybe, maybe they're still on the fence, who knows, but at least they have more information than they did from before, you know?
0: So I think one of the things it really starts with, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but sometimes I have these thoughts that come up and then I kind of like shush myself down because I'm like, oh, like, that's just like a me thing. And then you realize, no, it's not a youth. There's a lot of other people thinking very similarly. So I think it's maybe not to shush yourself or like not to quieten yourself down, but just like explore it. So like if you do have that like weird like feeling come up, Google it. Like just like a basic Google it. Or like if you have support systems, if you have girlfriends, like talk about it. You might think it's weird, but like, actually, they're probably thinking the same thing. So I think it starts with that. I, I, I'm pretty open. And I, I have those relationships where I can do that. I understand that's not the case for a lot of people. And so there are other resources available out there, right? Like, you don't have to go to your friends. It's totally okay. So I would say like, give way to your curiosity. I think it's a good thing. I've always been a really curious person. And then I think just going back, I think awareness is key. People will say like ignorance is bliss, but like I don't know, I think my curiosity like takes over that. And I think the more you know, and like the more awareness you have, the better choices you can make, because we all have choices to make that we make every single day. So I think just starting with like educating yourself. And, and this is like advice like across the spectrum so it's not just about your own body it could be politics it could be your religion it could be whatever i think it's okay to be curious and not shy away from it because i know like with my parents i talk i talk to them about this a lot because i'll ask questions about like religion right like it's like oh you're supposed to do something a certain way and i'm like okay but like why i'm okay with the you're supposed to whatever, but I'm like, can you just explain it to me? So it like sits better with me. And so that would even like strengthen my opinion about something. So something to give it a little bit more rational thought. And I think that that advice like cuts across like everything.
1: I think you mentioned this Coco, but like, how did your parents react to it again to your egg freezing? Because I know your mom was kind of like, ooh, what is what's going on? But like, how did they now? How are they now like taking it in after you've done the process like one time?
0: So this is really sad for me to say, but she was like, don't share this with your father. Don't do it. It's a he doesn't need to know. Part of me was like, oh, I was talking to my girlfriends about this. I was like, I'm going to tell him. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick my battles. This is a battle that I really don't need to pick. He doesn't need to know. He, de- he really doesn't need to know. Am I going to change his mind at his age in his 60s? No. Is it going to upset him? Of course it is. Is it totally like... Like alien to him. Yeah, it is. And so I'm like, do I need to really do I need to have a conversation with him? And I just decided not to. So I had it with my mom. I had it with my brother, who's like a really big support system. And like that sparked other conversations that I had with him and kind of creating that channel where I'm like, look, here I am being super vulnerable, sharing this like really private information with my brother. That's the only sibling that I have. My older brother But then like he felt comfortable enough to be able to talk to me about other issues that he was having because he felt that 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 there was a safe space that was created by me sharing that with him. So I would say I selectively share with certain family members, maybe not like older family members, not to be ageist or anything like that. I think it's just more like restrictive cultural values. But my younger siblings, sorry, my younger cousins or younger family members, I tell them like very boldly, just just go get checked. Just have awareness. Just be educated. That's it.
1: And I think it's incredible. You literally did it. You did it all, Coco. Like you had the awareness, but you actually were like, oh, I'm actually doing this. Like I really, really admire you. And I think it's because that's the stage of life I'm in. And to see somebody to actually do it and go through with it is so empowering to see. And I think you're so right. When it comes to like actually choosing your battles, sometimes it's like, in a way, you kind of want to say, what's wrong with what I did? Like let me show you why it's not wrong. But then it's like, it's, honestly, for your mental health sake, <laughs> just. Just don't like even for me therapy. It's not that I'm hiding it from my parents. I'm actually not, but it's like something that I just don't feel like I need to talk about in a way because I don't think they're at the point they would understand. They're like, "But what's wrong with you? Is there something wrong with you?" It's like, no, actually, just because you won't go to therapy does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. You know what I mean? I actually highly recommend it for every single person. Everybody, every every single person. But like that's again, I don't want to even call it a battle, but that's just something I just felt like I didn't really need to tell them. You know, egg freezing. That's like definitely something different. That would be a battle. That would be something that like I know for a fact my parents would not understand because again like you said restrictive cultural upbringings and whatnot and for me my mom would look at it as like okay so does that mean my daughter will never get married like girl exactly like after my divorce (laughs) I moved in with back with my parents and I never bought a tv or anything in my room or changed the layout of my room because I didn't want this is so weird like I've said this before on the podcast I never wanted my mom to feel like I'm never getting married I felt like if I were to buy a new bed set it would signify that I'm staying here forever so it's like even those little things that I have to think about you know, us women, we go through a lot and I, I just appreciate having these conversations because we can relate to one another. And there's certain things that you felt like it was so bizarre growing up, but then you meet other women who honestly have the same situation and same hardships that they face. But subhanAllah, so like we always come up like rising on top. And I think it's always empowering to be able to, like I said, have these conversations, but have this sisterhood where we can have a space to discuss things like this. Because like you said, some people maybe don't have a support group. So I hope this is your support group. I hope this does feel like you have somebody that you can talk to. You know, I know you have a personal page, Coco, but are there ways that people can reach out to you or learn more about the work that you do? Because you do a lot of incredible work for, for the UN. But like I would love for people to kind of yeah get to know you a bit better, maybe off mic and whatnot.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But before I do, I just wanted to say thank you for creating the space. No, know, it's not easy. I know it takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication at work and like to keep it sustained and, and, you know, keep the momentum going. So thank you for creating that. And then I think if people want to reach out to me, if you just Google me and find me on LinkedIn, that's probably the best way. So it's Coco. My last name is Zuberi. Happy to connect on like anything women's rights related as well. I do work with a lot of private sector uh, companies and just kind of talking to those people about like how they can be a little bit more involved, at least from a work perspective because we can't live our lives like in a very soloist approach like everything is so cross-cutting and our, our work transcends into our la- our daily lives as well so I think that would be one way and then on Instagram if you just send me a message it's hates hey, me Coco and you're
1: so approachable you're so sweet when I messaged you and everything so thank you thank you so much honestly for just agreeing to be a guest
0: No, thank you for having me again. And and I'm really looking forward to other conversations that you keep having with folks. It's really interesting. So thank you for for creating the space and for having me.
1: Thank you, Coco. Honestly, it's it's really empowering to educate yourself on certain things because like you said, certain policies you think don't affect you until you are in that circumstance and you realize like, oh, okay, like this does affect me. This is why it's so important to educate ourselves in certain policies. And when I know sometimes we don't want to get into politics, but unfortunately it affects every aspect of our life. But again, thank you. I admire you. I think you're so incredible. I think you're so badass, honestly, in every which way possible from your career to the choices that you're making to the conversations that you're having, Coco. So once again, thank you so much for just being a guest on the podcast. And I really hope people benefited uh, from this conversation because I I sure did. So thank you so much for answering all of my questions.
0: Thank you. And the feeling is very mutual. Thanks, Coco.